Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge Podcast, a weekly look at the future of learning. I'm Stephen Nunu, an editor here at EdSurge. For most of us, hearing something just once isn't nearly enough to commit it to memory. As a journalist, that's why I record my interviews and play them back while I transcribe the quotes word for word. But with today's crowded curriculum, sometimes one explanation is all kids get. Ten years ago, Sal Khan set out to change that with his Khan Academy videos, which let kids replay lessons as many times as they want. Here in education, Khan doesn't need much introduction. On YouTube, Khan Academy's collection of videos have more than a billion views and reach about 18 million learners a month in over 30 languages. A lot has changed for Khan in the last decade, but the ideas behind giving kids more time to master materials is still a big part of the organization's ethos, and that of the Khan Lab School, which is Sal Khan's small private school in Silicon Valley. At the 2019 National Charter Schools Conference in Las Vegas, I sat down with Khan to discuss why he's working with more schools these days, as well as his recent partnership with the NWEA's MAP Assessment, and even what he's like as a parent to his own three kids. Here's the highlights from that conversation. The theme of the conference is kind of reimagining education, and it's set on one of the programs that you would be speaking in part to that. Um, So that's something that we hear a lot, you know, reimagining education for in regards to um, charter schools and thinking about, you know, the education system differently. Um, what does that, you know, mean to you? I know Khan Academy works with a number of public school districts as well. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot of levers where one could reimagine education, but probably the one that we focus most on is um, on this notion of in a traditional academic model, kids move ahead at a fixed pace and, you know, a teacher will cover a, a topic for a couple of weeks, uh, and then there'll be an assessment, and on that assessment, one student gets a 70%, another student gets an 80%, another student gets a 95%, and even though the assessment identified those gaps, um, the class will then move on to the next concept, probably something that builds on those gaps, and those gaps keep accumulating, and the, you know, the stat that I've been citing a lot lately, because I think it's, it's for at least for my mind, the, the, the starkest stat, is that you know that's why you get to a point where either a lot of kids hit walls in an algebra class or a, it doesn't have to even be a math class or in a, in a physics class, uh, but then they get to community college and 70% have to take remedial math, which is a euphemism for 6th or 7th grade math. And uh, so the thing we focus most on, we think we have a, a part of the solution, is um, not doing that, allowing... You know, how do we create content, tools, software uh, to allow teachers to allow their students to, to, to remediate gaps if they have any, work on something long enough until they've gotten to a reasonable level of proficiency or mastery and then move on. Uh, so that's the core lever uh, in, in our mind and that's what most of our energies are, are focused on. And, uh, yeah, and a lot, you know, and where we've seen it and we've seen the efficacy studies run, it doesn't even have to be wholesale change towards that. It could even be 20% of, the, of class time in that direction and we're seeing kids grow 20, 30% faster than expected. And the other 80% would be kind of business as usual? Yeah, you know, from, from the beginning of Khan Academy, you know, I've been preaching. I actually didn't even have the, the word in my, in, my, in my vocabulary of mastery learning, but I was preaching this notion of like, hey, now we don't have to make this compromise. You know, 500 years ago, that is the way that people learned. Uh, you would have a per- private tutor, and that private tutor would flex according to what your needs were. Uh, but then when you have free mass public education, which was a major innovation for the planet, uh, in the in the 18th and 19th centuries, they said, well, how do we do it at scale? We'll get 30 kids in a room, 
we'll move them all together. Some of the kids will keep up, some of the kids not as well. And then you get to a point where, where they, um, where, where, where they hit, they hit walls. So I've been preaching, Hey, wholesale mastery learning. That isn't realistic. Because uh, you have to really think about your grade system, your you know there's sometimes state mandates, district mandates that you have to cover, you know X standards and Y days. Uh, I think there is also value of, of having exposure to to grade level material, uh, but um, the so so the compromise is if we can put in even let's call it 45 minutes a week of students being able to work at their own pace on what's appropriate for them. We're seeing that even that dosage. Uh, is, is driving gains for them. So I wanted to talk about this um, MAP Accelerator mm -hmm. um, kind of partnership a little. Can you kind of give me, from my understanding, it's like based on a student's MAP score, then they get kind of a personalized Khan Academy playlist. Can you give me an example of that and how is it really designed for underserved populations? The way it's going to work is this, are you from, you're pretty familiar with the NWA map. So students take the, the map, let's say that this administration in October, and actually Las Vegas is going to be our biggest pilot. I use air quotes because it's 160,000 kids. It's, it's a big pilot. Right. But, uh, uh, they, they, they take the map assessment the very next day, the, and let's, you know, all the rostering stuff, which is surprisingly complicated, but let's all that happens. So the kids are rostered with their teachers and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the teacher is going to get notified via email saying, okay, your kids' scores are in. Uh, click here to review suggested placement. Teachers go. The teachers can then either just say, yeah, it looks good, looks right to me, or, and this is something we're very, we care deeply about and, and the, the NWA folks care deeply about, um, the teacher can, can, can modify them. They're like, well, I don't think that's exactly right for Billy or, or whatever else. And then once the teacher kind of approves all of the personalized learning plans for each of the students based on what their RIT scores are and the various uh, common core strands, then the, the kid, the student gets a, an email notification saying, hey, you're ready to um, get started on your personalized learning plan. They click on it. If they don't have a Khan Academy account, all that kind of stuff happens. If they do, they just immediately when they log in, they say, hey, here are your, your, the, the, your four, the, in the four strands, this is what you need to work on. Kids click on it, and then it goes into kind of a the the mastery learning framework of Khan Academy. It's like, hey, work on this, get mastery, do it on a unit test, et cetera, et cetera. And then you kind of keep doing that, and you know, for three, four months until the next map assessment. At that, and, and then the teacher gets dashboards: where are all the students? How, what percentage are they complete? How far are they? What's their velocity, so to speak? They can make interventions where if they see kids are stuck in some in some way. Uh, and then after four months, they get another snapshot. Obviously, they get another map assessment. What we're excited about is that will allow the teachers, the principals, the administrators to understand how that work on Khan Academy is hopefully driving better than expected results on, on the map. Uh, and in terms of how it's designed for uh, students of, of need, um, this was actually the whole, one of the main points of, of not just the MAP Accelerator partnership, but you know, Catherine leads our efforts around um, what we call our district offering. Because a lot of what we've been talking about, like, okay, we've, we've been talking about mastery learning for a while, we've been making all this content and all this software for a while, we've been putting it out there, uh, we, had, we had a lot of grassroots adoption, we had these efficacy studies, and we're like, oh, looks, looks like it's pretty good. But when we go to our districts, we're like, hey, actually, even before we went to districts, we're like, the only way we're going to reach all the kids, especially the ones that most need, are through districts. Uh, then we went to the districts and we said, hey, what, 
what would it take for all your kids to do this for at least 45 minutes a week? And then they said, you need better teacher training, better teacher supports, um, district dashboards, integration with our rostering system, just a lot of blocking and tackling that I think for most of Khan Academy's history, we were a little bit <laughs> afraid of doing because it's a lot of more, almost you call it manual work with district student information systems and things. But we, uh, we decided, you know, we're, we're mature enough now. This was about a year ago that we said, let's, let's try to do this. And let's see if we can partner with some districts who want to dig deep, especially large urban districts that are serving high-need populations. Yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. So why this strategic shift to testing? I mean, are you worried that that will become the narrative? Because you talked about how Khan Academy was founded on this mastery learning you know, principle. Are you worried that the narrative will become Khan Academy helps you take a test and that it's all about standardized testing and passing this test? Yeah, well, I, that is definitely something we, we talk about because the one thing that I always want to emphasize with people outside of Khan Academy is we, the last thing we want to be is about test prep. Uh, even our SAT thing, which sounds <laughs> SAT prep, and we call it that a lot of times, uh, but you know, both the college board and us, we said, look, this cannot be about just how do you game the SAT. This has got to be about becoming more college ready and we have to use the SAT as, and as, as evidenced by the SAT. And none of these tests are perfect measures, but they can be indicative. Uh, and, and similarly, when we, when we talked to the NWA, they were very like, look, this cannot be about it. And we're like, yeah, we don't want it to be about it either. And what you see is there's a, actually a very healthy separation between the teams that create the assessment and the teams that create the, the content. If you look at the content on the map accelerator, it is, Common Core aligned content, the, 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 and it's all of the standards in the Common Core, not just what may or may not be in the map. And it is, it is done independently from looking at map ass assessment items. So we believe that the students, by doing this work in a mastery framework, will learn the Common Core standards better. And MAP believes that they are a good measure for the Common Core or, or, or mastery of Common Core standards. And so it's, um, for, for me, it's a, it's a nice, it, it's, it's a nice linkage. You know, there's always this debate about standardized testing. It's standardized, standard, in my mind, standardized testing is kind of a neutral event. It's like, what are you going to do with it? If mm -hmm. it's in, in a traditional, you know, I remember talking to the head of the New York City Teachers Union and he had just written an op-ed about kind of the, the waste of standardized testing. And I mean, his whole point was like, you take this test at the end of the year, it takes up class time. Kids really have no incentive to like perform on it. And then, uh, you know, sometimes teachers are evaluated on it. And then the year ends, summer happens, kids go to a, a, usually a new teacher the next year. The new teacher might see the results and they're like, okay, so half my kid class is behind grade level. What can I do? <laughs> and then they have to they have to go through the at least the motions of of their grade level of material. So the standardized test was just kind of this. I guess it was it provided some information, and once again, imperfect information. But what we've seen with the PSAT, because the PSAT was like that in the past, it was like this random test you took. And for most kids, it was like a non-event. It was a, yeah. a half day taken from yeah. them. Uh, but now the PSAT acts as like an invitation to practice to get better at something, and so. The idea is, hey, if we can make standardized tests um, something that is a gateway into mastery learning and practice, and if we can create efficacy loops, um, and if we can make it actionable for teachers and give teachers the tools 
where they can say, oh, what should I do based on this test so I can actually meet the needs of my students, uh, then, then we think it could be, it could be valuable. Mm-hmm. So when I was reading the release for this, I saw a lot of language like this is adaptive and personalized, but I mean, this is still kind of, you know, watching a lesson and taking a test, which is, you know, when you boil it down to it's what students are, are used to. Do you ever see Khan Academy moving to something that fosters more like problem solving and creativity? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I mean, it's, it's another one of these debates that we're having continually. Um, so what are, and, and you know, Khan Academy, even today, I always emphasize, you know, we're, we're, often, we're often known but for videos and, and, and we have our, our practice sets, but um, that have been out there for many years. But e- even the, the current, most of our energy is around the practice and the mastery mechanics and the game mechanics around it. And e- even that, a lot of the items are higher depth of knowledge than, than you know, people might traditionally associate with that type of computer gradable type of thing. And the, and the instructional assets like videos in my mind is kind of just a nice to have supplement. Uh, so the real core of the model is kids will go, they can take what we call our course challenge. The course challenge will be a whole course level kind of sample of all of the material. Then based on that, they can get a sense of what units they might have strength or weakness in. And those units, they can take the unit test and they can zero in on, on their gaps. Now that is, to your point, it's limited to, you're not going to be able to do a, um, I mean, we try actually, I was gonna say geometry construction. We do actually do have some exercises that try to do things like a geometry construction, but that's still not the same thing as taking a compass out and, and, and doing that. Um, and you also can't do kind of, a, um, you know, I, I was looking at some of the uh, illustrative math uh, task models lately, uh, you know, where you're, you try to figure out, you know, some, how, how far is the, the sun from the earth based on the shadow at two different, or how far is it, what's the circumference of the earth based on the, your shadow at the same time at two different parts of That's a really cool experience. But you're, you're not going to be able to like show that you can do that on Khan Academy today because of just, just the modality. My, our ideal, and this is why it isn't a one or the other, like we, we run a lab school under our offices. And, and in our lab school, what, what the kids do is the, the, the course, the, the stuff that can be uh, done in a format that Khan Academy has today, they, they do. But then it opens out, it, it unlocks experiences like these illustrative math task models. Uh, so it's an and. And we see something very similar happening where if the, stu- if the teachers are able to use this 45 minutes an hour, let's call it one class period a week, then they could, they could do their standard, whatever the schedule, whatever the, the pacing guide said for the, the other four days. Or they could do that for two or three days, and then they could see where their kids actually are. Um, which is, once again, I think you know, it's valuable information for teachers, because traditionally, they kind of just try to intuit based on the room, and then they get the test, and then it's kind of like time to move on. So then they could also use that. Now, long-term Khan Academy itself, yeah, that's the dream. Um, if, if we can keep... And there's, there's a few areas where we do have it. Uh, in programming, kids are able to do as open-ended as it gets, projects, build their portfolios, get peer feedback, spin out from other folks. So that's the dream if we could do that in other areas. And, and um, we, we've just launched Praxis. I mean, we were talking about test prep. So we, we've just launched prep for the Praxis exam, which is a teacher, uh, which is in, I don't know what percent of the states. It's like in two-thirds of the states, I think, or half the states. If a teacher wants to become a teacher, they have to take this Praxis exam. Um, but this is the first time we've, we're, we're trying out free response. 
and it's, it's actually self-graded free response with the rubric. It's interest, you know, that's been an interesting, we've partnered with another group on the SAT around, uh, essay writing. So we're starting to explore some of this, this type of stuff. I have a, a little skunk works project to explore peer to peer, um, in terms of peer to peer tutoring or peer to peer assessment, because then you could go a lot richer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about, um, the Khan Lab School. How, how's that, how's that going? Successful? It, yeah, yeah, it, yes, it's, it's, it's doing just fine. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's approaching 200 kids now. It's K through 11 because <laughs> the oldest kids are going to be 11th graders and, or, you know, uh, but it's, 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 it's been great. You know, I wrote One World Schoolhouse back in 2012, just kind of theoretically saying, well, what, how, what could, edu- how could education be reimagined to, to, you know, uh, uh, and, and it's like, you know, it's one thing to write about it and, and say in theory, it's a whole other thing to actually try to do it. And uh, I, I gotta say, I've I've learned a ton of what you know, just the real the reality of of a, of you know, real kids coming in every day, real parents, real teachers. <laughs> like, how do you how do you make it all work? But I would say overall, the school. You know, my three kids go there, or my third's about to go there, and um, it's been great. And you know, I think the 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 biggest, if I were to say the the biggest successes, I'll, I'm happy to talk about the biggest difficulties too. But the <laughs> biggest Biggest successes have been, I think, for the most part, the, the thesis that you can decouple academic progression from age is true. Although, and difficulty, there's a lot of edge cases. Like, what if a kid isn't going at what you know we all consider to be a kind of like the the societally basic? You know, they're not on track to get to trig or calculus by the time they're they're 17 or 18 years. What do you do? What do you now? What's cool about this school is we can flex. They can have more time, more interventions, maybe. Um, I think the, the, the mixed age has been very powerful, uh, where you're seeing kids take responsibility for each other in a lot of traditional environments, kids kind of have to just worry about themselves. Um, and I don't know if it's, you know, whether it's because it's a small school and I don't want to jinx it either, but we're seeing a lot less, you know, when, when teachers start at the school, especially in the middle school years, they're, 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 they're pretty surprised by kind of, there's, there's, there's not some of that, um, uh, kind of bullying behavior that you might see some places where, you know, like, because of the middle school kids, they're not, it's not just them in their own little bubble. They're, they'll sometimes have to tutor a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. And so they kind of, I think that builds empathy. Um, so, so all that's been great. I think the, the difficult stuff has been, it's, it's, you know, it's, it is when you have real students and you have parents who have their, own concerns and, and you have, you know, a team that is trying to build a school as, as they're serving the students, um, to constantly be trying to kind of iterate and learn and try new things. It's, it's not an easy thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's very hard. And, you know, the school was set up from the beginning to make it as easy as possible. <laughs> it's still not easy. Uh, so, so it's, uh, you know, I definitely appreciate um, how hard it is if you're kind of in, 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 in a more traditional structure to, to do, you know, mass change, no matter how bad the teacher might want to, or the principal might want to, or the superintendent might want to. And so, and that's actually, I think, to some degree informed some of what we're doing at Khan Academy, which is like, how do we make it as time-saving as possible for teachers? How do we make it as empowering for them as possible? And how do we uh, make it as, you know, it, do- it doesn't require wholesale rebooting of everything they know. Yeah. So why do you think you've seen success with it versus uh, other Silicon Valley models like alt school, which have been pivoting away from running these schools because they're not really seeing that 
level of success. Yeah, I, 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 I can't speak. Alt school started in a very different place than, than KLS. Um, KLS started in a place of like, what could pedagogy, like what could a school look like? Um, and it started with some basic ideas around mastery learning, peer-to-peer, full year, full day. Um, and, and it was kind of these educational ideas first, and then like how do we build a school around it? And then we will use tools as necessary. Like, yeah, Khan Academy could be useful in that part, but if you, if you visit the school, like most of the kids are not doing Khan Academy most of the time. And most of the time they're like interacting and playing and, and uh, or, you know, if there's, there's another tool that's interesting, they'll, they'll use it, but it's, that's not the, the focal point of, of the school. I think all schools, and I don't think I'm saying anything that, you know, uh, their founders would disagree with, they started off as a tech company. I mean, they, they went and got funding from, you know, the same people who would have funded Uber and Airbnb and raised a ton of money. And, you know, that, those, the venture capitalists, I don't think were, in, were interested in a model that was going to start one school every four or five years. That's never going to give you a billion dollar valuation or multi-billion dollar valuation. They were interested in some type of a thesis around starting some type of, um, I don't know, ed tech tool that could be kind of the operating system of a, I, 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 I mean, between, it, it wasn't obvious to me. It, it, it was kind of a foot in both, like, because it, it, it wasn't obvious to me how it was going to scale fully as an ed tech, um, and it wasn't fully obvious how it was going to scale as a school. But, but it's a, uh, you know, when, when their Palo Alto campus shut down, a lot of the parents and families and even some of the, the teachers were interested in ours because we're only four miles away. Um, I, I did want to ask you, you had said a long time ago, I read a blog post to yours, that when you were raising your son, you would only praise him when he had done something very accomplished and that you wouldn't offer this superfluous praise. And um, I have um, twin daughters, and, and they're probably around the same age as your son. So I, I always kept that in mind and tried to do that. I wanted to ask, like, how's that going? That, thing, that was probably the only thing I've ever written that truly went viral. But the... Um yeah, the whole point over there is I, I don't wait for like some massive achievement. It's more that, I, and this isn't my idea. This is like Carol Dweck and and Ansel Duckworth and all these folks. But praise process over praising accomplishment. So when I wrote that, Imran, who's my oldest, he was four or five years old and he was learning to read. And I would sit down with him every night and we'd look at the Bob books. And uh, and yeah, when when he was able to like like he'd sound out a word or something instead of saying, Hey, great job. You're really good at this. I would say, oh, I really like how you struggled with that word or like, you know, I would praise him on the parts where he struggled and he got through it versus the, 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 the times that, uh, and then I used to try these little things that, you know, the, the growth mindset researchers would tell you are good. I was like, Oh, you know, you know, your brain grew more when you struggled with that than when you did the easy, you know, the easy part for you. It's like, God, you're like, oh, you're just, just like, you can see my brain growing. I, like, I think I felt it. And so, I mean, look, I, I don't know how much is, I don't know how much credit, but yeah, Imran is, you know, he definitely has a growth mindset now. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't, so, you know, his, he, they're, they're on a break right now and, you know, he's, 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 um, he's, he cycles his day through like playing basketball, which, you know, as you could probably tell from me, it's not our, <laughs> it's not, it's not our, 
<laughs> my family has traditionally done very well in, but, um, but he has a growth mindset about it and he'll play chess and he always likes to play me because, you know, it's, that's the most challenging, although now we're about the same. Um, yeah, so I think it's, and then with my other kids, I, I try to do the same, but you know, but one thing I do see with three kids is their, their personalities are so different. <laughs> what do you do with one? It's, 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 uh, my, my daughter who's kind of next in line. Like if, if I try to play mind games with her, she'll just kind of play them back on me. Like, you know, so, so she's almost too advanced for me to be able to, um, play that with her. But no, I, overall it's been, and it's funny that, that thing when it came out, I didn't pick the headline and I've been very careful now whenever I wrote something, but like, I forgot who wrote, picked the headline, but it was, it was designed for clickbait because I think the headline was like, why I never tell my son he's smart. <laughs> And it sounded horrible. It's like, yeah, my next paper will be why I like don't feed my child. <laughs> From the Khan Lab School, uh, you mentioned that the kids aren't doing Khan Academy all day. Is there anything deeper that we can extrapolate about your, your educational vision from that? You know, the mastery, you know, goal setting, independence. I mean, is there, is there anything deeper that we can take away? Yeah. I mean, I've been actually trying to work with the school team on, you know, principles around the school and it's, what can you do for the students to give them optimal agency? And then what supports can we give to the teachers so that they can provide that optimal agency for students? Um, and it should always be with that vision. And then you think about what tools might be appropriate for it. It might be a spreadsheet. It might be a big whiteboard on the, that, that the kids can say who needs help and who can give help. Um, a lot of it is, I would say, a mindset of, of the faculty around, you know, I am here to help that person become independent in, in whatever they need to do. So, uh, yeah, but it's, 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 it's not a trivial thing because it's, you know, we see it with our own kids. You know, if they fall, your, your, your first temptation is to try to pick them up. Uh, and I do that if they fall. But, <laughs> but you know, metaphorically, when, when they're learning, if, if they're struggling a little bit, it's all of our temptations like, oh, let me just explain to you how you do it. But it's, it's, we've seen it really is powerful to have the kids say, well, you know, what do you think you should do about that? Or, okay, you didn't grow as much as you expected. Um, you know, we've been doing, the map accelerator doesn't, won't exist until like three weeks from now, but at, we've been using the map at KLS from the beginning. And every time the, the scores come out, it's really just a reflection exercise for the kids. So, okay, you grew, you didn't grow as much as expected. What do you think happened? And kids, I mean, sometimes seven years old say, well, yeah, I got just more distracted. This time. What can you do differently? Uh, and they'll say it like, I should probably not sit next to so-and-so because they're my friend. And Great. All right, let's see what happens. And then they do it. It's, and then no one expects them to do it, like take responsibility like that. But if you do it, they do it. Yeah. Great. This has been the Ed Search Podcast. Thanks to SalCon for joining us and to everyone out there for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts, and take a moment to give us a rating to help others find us. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Nunu, with some invaluable help from my colleague, your higher ed host, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more on the future of learning. Take care. Mm-hmm.